So if you've been around Lyft for a while, and uh, you might have been part of things that we've done at Lyft, small groups and, and some discussions, you've heard that we talk about having a personal relationship with God. Now that, that term, generally, actually could mean a many things within the Bible. For some, you know, it could be as God, is, God is, as, is, has been your friend, or that he's your father, or that um, you, as a teacher, that personal relationship that we have with God. But there's one term that we, it's also a personal relationship with God, but we don't often use it in the same context, or often. Um, well, you won't hear us speaking about that and we're talking to one another. And that is to have a partnership with God. Now, you're asking me, Ken, what do you mean by partnership? I know partnerships that I have with contracts with third parties. Um, each of us commit to different parts. We're committed to do certain things um, in that partnership. And uh, those partnerships are driven by those those commitments, and I'm saying, yes, it's kind of like that partnership, but so much more. Um, a partnership means for me that I'm entrusted with something that I've committed to, and that other partner is entrusted with something that they're committed to, and one keeps those commitments in the partnership, and when you break those commitments, you break the partnership. And I thought, well, how do I kind of bring it a bit more like, but you know, it's personal to me. So I thought, well, let me talk about my personal, very special partnership. I'm just using those terms with my beloved wife. I've got permission to this to do this today. So, uh, but she doesn't know the content, so I'll <laughs> I'll deal with it afterwards. So, um, we have this special partnership, my wife and I, and um, we made these promises to God. We made commitment. For, between God and, and one another. Um, and and, and there's this commitment is part of our partnership. And how I actively demonstrate my commitment is through actions and the things I do. And what we also find in this beautiful partnership is that daily, in those actions, they're kind of tested. And to be honest, in most of those cases, I'm required to serve and humble myself and put myself really second. And you can say they're kind of like tests. Some are big and some are small. But they are there to really show my commitment to this very special partnership that I have with my wife. The thing is, in these daily tests, I must be honest, that whenever there's something that I've got to do, well, not ever, but let's not put it that strong, but when most of the time, whenever I feel I've got to do something in that partnership to show my commitment to the partnership, I have this supernatural, amazing way to think of another way which seems faster, easier, which I can argue very well, I can justify very well, and um, I could force, if I wanted to, towards my wife. But honestly, whenever I do that, I know in my heart is hollow. There's an emptiness because, to, to be brutally honest, I'm breaking that special partnership with my wife. Because, truth be told, choosing that way to address those tests, I'm really just giving in to my sinful self. And that is really 90% of the time the case with some of those scenarios. It doesn't happen all the time. And she, she's giving me a yes, it's not all the time. But she shows grace in those moments for me, because honestly, sure, 
We've made commitments to God. And when I really mess up, that's what we hang on. And it's just beautiful. But that's the reality of some of the tests in our partnership. There is another part, which is a smaller part. And I can honestly say that that happens as well. And that is where I face tests in our relationship. But I know for I know for a fact that that test that is put before me is not from flesh and blood. It's something that's happening that in that moment I'm feeling that this is just seeming so attractive, so, so, so easy. But in my heart, I sense that the Word of God is telling me this is not what Jesus would do. And I know then that I'm battling because it is a battle. And it's in those moments that I'm committed to not follow those easy opportunities which actually turned out to be a trap. And really what I wanted to share today is that in the Bible, we see in all these different stories exactly this. Tests that are opportunities and tests that are a trap. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look and show us about how God uses this personal, special relationship, partnership with us as individuals. And how he does that in the Bible and how he shows us, um, I'll let the guys just sort that out. Um, and, and what I want us to also try and do is just show you in the Bible, not only that he has this personal and very special relationship, but how he also shows us how he, he tests that commitment with people and individuals in this Bible and what it means and how they've actually experienced and how they've reacted to that test. This is something that is so clear and so wonderful, and it helps us as we look at things in our lives to deal with those tests in our everyday life. And so what I thought to doing is just look at some of the stories. And I thought I'd go in the beginning of the Bible, and we look at the first story in the Bible, and we find that in that story, God created this beautiful, wonderful earth, and he shares it with all his creatures. And then he decides to let Adam and Eve really partner with him to rule over and allow this beautiful earth to really blossom. Um, he lets them run the story. He lets, them, he lets them run this partnership for them. Entrusts it to them. And what we then see, of course, in the story, that the story explains how they respond to that. So what I thought of doing is just looking at two specific scriptures. The first one is, I want you to see the partnership. I want you to identify exactly there where there's this commitment. And, and then later we'll look at how they actually are tested in this way. First place is in Genesis chapter 1, and this is in verse 28. And, and the Lord says, and we just sang this as well this morning. I love it when that happens, when the songs tie up with the message. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. He says, And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. There's a partnership and there's specific commitments made in that partnership. He also goes on in Genesis 2 verse 15 to give a specific command. And he says, the Lord took, and, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. So if you look at those two scriptures and the beginning of this relationship in the story, we see that there are specific roles within the partnership. The, one, the first one is that God gives the earth and all its splendor and the part that Adam and Eve have to play is to subdue it and to work it. Now, at that level, it's kind of, kind of clear, but 
this is really, and it, if you just allow yourself to think a little bit deeper into what God is actually testing and what, what God, is, God is actually asking them, sorry. And I wrote it this way. He says that the part that Adam and Eve have to play in this commitment is that they need to trust why. They need to trust why he wants them to do this and that it is for their own good. They need to trust why God wants them to subdue the earth and work the earth. And they've got to trust why is God wanting us to do that. But, and this is so true for God's character, we see clearly in the story in the next part that God tests the commitment of this partnership. And we find that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, and I'd love to read that as well. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For if in the day that you do eat of it, you shall surely die. So if you just read it, what is God saying is the test. If they eat of the tree, that specific tree, all other trees, including the tree of life, you can, this tree, if you don't eat it, you will surely die. If you kind of take it one step a little bit lower or just kind of, just kind of break it up and amplify it a bit, what God is doing is he's testing their loyalty. And God is saying he wants to rule with these humans as these partners, but he wants them, he needs them to trust his wisdom on these things. He needs them to trust his wisdom over their own wisdom. And of course, the story goes on to say that they get another option. They get another test that is put before them. And this test seems easier. It seems, seems to be, um, from a wisdom perspective, something that they can trust their own wisdom on. And it's brought to them by this mysterious creature in the... In Genesis, the first few chapters are written as a poem. He's described as a snake. Um, and he twists the truth. And he twists the commands. And I'm not going to go into the specifics there. But basically, they must make the decision to trust their own wisdom, which seems so much easier than it is to trust the wisdom what God has told them to do. And they make the decision to trust in their own wisdom and the result is they move into exile and ultimately death. The partnership is broken. The partnership with God is broken. And the Bible explains that that is why we are stuck in the scenario that we have. World of corruption, um, injustice, and the tragedy of death. That's what the Bible tells us. And so... Having known that, the next stories that actually share that the generations that follow from Adam just go to a continuous seeking of absolute wickedness. And there's one verse that kind of just summarizes it all. It's in Genesis 5 verse 6. I'd like to read that because it just speaks of what the earth must have got to at that stage. And it says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of, of man was so great in the earth and that every intention of their thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then we see God changes his plan on how he wants to have this partnership with man. He decides to select small groups of people and he decides to have a specific covenant with them or a specific partnership with them. And this he calls a covenant. I kind of gave it away before I said it, sorry. 
So the partnership is called a covenant. And the covenant is explained like this. God gives, us, gives a promise, and those specific people have to commit to doing something, keeping to something. That's what the covenant is. Now, the Bible is amazing. In the Old Testament, there's four covenants that, Jesus, that the Lord initiates. There's four covenants. The first one is with Noah. And I'm not going to go to the scriptures, but I'm going to read, just tell you where the scriptures are so that if you're listening to the message or you want to write it down, that is found specifically in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 to 17. The next covenant that he initiates is with Abraham, and that is found in Genesis 17 from verses 1 to 8. And the next covenant he has is with the nation Israel. And that is basically the whole of Exodus 19 and Exodus 20, but the specific verse is 19 verse 5. And then finally, he makes a, initiates a covenant with, a, with, a king, with King David. And that's found in Samuel's, uh, in the seventh chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 14. Four different covenants. And what I want to do just briefly, as I said, I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but I want to just show you in all those covenants, and I want you to see what God promises, I want you to see what they, must, what they commit to do, and I want, to see, I want you to see how they face the test and what they do with the test. So just let me show you. The first one's found, we spoke about Noah. Now Noah's covenant happens after Noah, after the flood has taken place. You must understand, the Lord has, has sent the flood, he's wiped out the whole of corrupt humanity, and Noah's family are the only family left on the earth. And then we read this in Genesis chapter 9 from verses um, 9 to 13. And I'd like to read that because this is so powerful. And allow me just to read that and put the Bible down. Now I've established my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. I must tell you, I must be honest, I'm 54. And when I started working on this message, I realized the covenant was not only with Noah. It was with every creature, every living creature. And it was, I just love that about God's word. That uh, having shared this in Sunday school many times, um, God's still teaching me so wonderful things. But he goes on to say, the birds, the livestock, and the wild animals, and all that came out of the ark with you. Every living creature on earth. I established my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I make between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be like a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So let's just see what is the promise there. God promises to be faithful. And even though he knows that humans won't be, he promises to be faithful and never destroy the earth again with water. What is the commitment that Noah had to make and all creatures? This is a very special covenant. There's nothing that they were committed to do. Which sets this covenant actually apart from everything else. And I kind of paraphrase it like this. So God knowing that humans will continue to do evil and despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be a reliable place for us to work together. Kind of a summary of God's heart with that specific covenant. The next time we hear of a covenant that God initiates is with Abraham. He was called Abram first. And there's also this beautiful reality where God calls him. Pete preached on it last year. God calls him. 
God promises him that he will give him this family and that he will he'll give him, he'll, be, he'll favor him and he will look after him. And then he says this one specific thing which he makes in this covenant, which is an incredible promise. And we're going to have it on there in Genesis, 1, uh, Genesis uh, um, 12, verses 1 to 3. Verse 3, he says this, I will bless those who bless you, and in him who disowns you, dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the na- families of the earth shall be blessed. Incredible promise that God made. And, and what God says Adam must do in this promise is quite amazing. He says, God says he must trust him. I want you to remember the word trust him. And then he says, and you must train up his family to do what is right and just. That is what God asked Abraham to do in this covenant, this commitment. So if we look at how Abraham actually fared in the testing that God did with regards to this, he, he quickly failed. When he was in a, in a scenario where he was anxious, where he felt as if it was impossible that he could, he could deal with a specific, logically speaking, it didn't seem possible to trust God. He was anxious. Physically, there was no way that they can still have children. But even before that, he was in places where he was fearing for his life. And what does he do? He gives his wife to Pharaoh because he says his, his, do- his sister. And there's a few scenarios where Abraham just failed horribly in trusting God. And then, of course, Sarah and Abraham decide to scheme a way to have a child by abusing the slave girl of Sarah. And eventually, when the child is born, they kick them out into the wilderness. So, besides all these things, God doesn't lose heart with Abraham. He continues to give him one more chance. After his actual son is born, he, he sets him the test. Take this one son of yours who I promised that I would give you this wonderful family and this family will bless many, all families of the earth. He says, I want you to go to that mountain and I want you to go and sacrifice him. And what does Abraham do? He actually goes and does it. Well, he doesn't actually sacrifice him because God God stops him before he does that, gives him a substitute with a ram. But then he declares, because you passed the test, I will let this covenant be true. And we're still experiencing that today in certain parts. That's the test of Abraham. And then from there, the next time we read about God giving a, initiating a covenant is with now that Abraham's family has become a tribe of Israel and they're leaving Egypt and God makes this covenant with them, which is an incredible covenant as well. And he says to them that if they um, obey the law, which is they, that they will, I'm just going to see it, I'm going to say, yeah, he said to them, they must obey the set of laws, which are the guidelines for living in a community of partnership with him. And then he says to them, if you do that, God promises that he will bless them, and this is the amazing thing, and, and become the people who will be representing him to the rest of humanity. Incredible promise. And the way they follow that promise, of course, with their testing in the wilderness for 40 years, they fail horribly. They, they don't follow the law. They break the law. They start despising God. They even declare that God has taken them into the wilderness um, for them to die there. And what happens? Every one of that in, that in that generation does not see the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. 
And that's how that covenant was never really fulfilled. And then finally, you have this covenant that was with David. It's found at the end of David's life. It's also found, as I said, in 2 Samuels. And in this, David is asked that he... That He's the ruler, and he's asked that David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel and obeying the law and doing what is just and what is right. So David and his descendants must follow the law, and they must do what is just and what is right. And that's what God asks of them to do. And then this is the promise, if they do that, that one of David's sons will be, extend the kingdom of God and rule with peace and with peace and with blessings there will be a let me say that again one of david's sons will come and extend god's kingdom of peace and blessings over all the nations yeah. incredible incredible blessing Wonderful. and so they break it of course they break the covenant they start worshiping idols they do the most horrendous things the most atrocious things that you can think of with the different kings and we read that they move, they completely get rejected and they get moved into exile and the, the nation is scattered. But then we hear this, that the prophets start saying that God will renew his covenant, even although Israel and Judah had failed. Yes. And we read this in Jeremiah 31 verse 31, very easy to remember, and it's a wonderful promise. It says, Behold, the day is coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So all the covenants, all four of them, man's part failed when sticking to the commitments. And then we move on to the story of Jesus in the Bible. And what I love about this, and it is just something that all of us should be excited about, is that if you allow yourself time, to just take a theme and allow the Word of God, just meditate on the Word of God. There's so many layers. You can spend your lifetime just seeing the truth that God describes and discuss, discovers for you in this Word. And this is specifically exactly in this next verse that I'm about to share. When most of us read this verse and when we've read it, we've just read it as an introduction to the Bible of the New Testament. New Testament is the New Testament of the Bible. And it starts in the book of Matthew. And the first verse in the first chapter is this, and the, the, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, for many of us who read that, it's kind of, okay, but if you were a Jewish person today or back then or whenever they read that specific verse, you know what this would mean to them. When they read that Jesus is the son of Abraham, that implies that he brings the blessings to all the families of the whole earth. If Jesus is of the line of Abraham, that he is. He fulfills that covenant then. If it says that he is, in, uh, that he is the son of David, then that would imply that he will extend the kingdom of God, God and be a blessing and bring peace to all nations. That's what those few words say if we allow that word to just seep into our hearts from knowing what the covenant is in the beginning of the Bible. How amazing is that? And if that's, that's two of them. So you think, ah, oh, well, the verse doesn't say the one covenant which is with Israel. In the same book, chapter 5, Jesus stands before all of Israel. And he makes this declaration that he is the Israelite who is able to truly 
obey the law. Can you imagine that? It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to abolish them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Friends, everything that Jesus says can be tied up to what God has been doing through the Old Testament. And where we failed, he keeps pursuing us. His purpose of having this personal relationship in this covenant with us is just so real. But yes, we know that as a man, that would be almost impossible because all those generations have tried it. But what Piet actually said just before I started preaching, when we prayed over that song, is the declaration that we have. He's not merely a man. He's not merely a man. He's God who became a man. And in John chapter 1, I just love how just the first verses declare that who he really is. I haven't got it up there, but um, we all know it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you just read on in chapter 1, you get to verse 18, and boah, this is what it says. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then the writer declares, and we have seen his glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What the Bible is telling us, and where we have to get to in this beautiful, wonderful time that we spend dealing with the things that we do, is that God says that he made a way where we supposedly could have, but failed. He made a way through his son to commit all the requirements for the covenant. And with that, friends, we're able to have an ability to have that personal, wonderful relationship with God. He made the way through fulfilling this covenant. And that's why when we're together and we have communion again, and when you hear it read, that when we take this cup, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Friends, we are declaring this to everybody. When you read somewhere in the Bible and it speaks about the new covenant, this is what it means. We have this ability to know and have this relationship with the Lord. And it's Him that makes it possible for all of us to have that. Now, you know, God's faithful and He, is, he doesn't change. So if He tested Adam and Eve, if He tested Noah, Abraham, everybody along the line, He's going to test the Son of Man. That's the way God is. He doesn't change. So there are places in the New Testament where we see that Jesus was tested. We know that in the wilderness, he's in the wilderness for 40 days. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. And then we read that the tempter, which he is called, comes and tells him, if it is you, if it is true, if it is true. And he tries to test him with that other test. And Jesus passes the test. What Jesus does, he trusts in God's wisdom. And not only does he trust in God's wisdom, at the end of the tests, he calls this tempter for who he is. And he says, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, I don't have that up there, Be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God. Him only shall you serve. Thanks for coming. That is... 
how he passes the test. And then another place, there are other places, but the one place that's so incredible where he shows us how he passes the test is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's about to be executed. We see this incredible image. He asks his friends to draw with him and to pray with him because he's about to go through this trial, this test. And it's so articulated beautifully. And we read that specifically in Matthew from verse 38. And I want you to hear Jesus' heart as he's speaking to his friends and as he's prepared to face this test. And he says, Then he said to them, that was his three friends, My soul is so very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And I'm going... And then going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is the good news, friends. Jesus shows us what it takes to pass the test. The test you and I are facing daily. He is the word, and he shows us what it, what it takes to pass the Past the test. But here are four principal things that he shares with us of what it takes to pass the test. The test that I'm going to face tomorrow at work. The test that you must be probably facing somewhere even in today. The first thing he says, we should trust God's wisdom, not our wisdom. The second thing he says, that is that he, we should love, he loved more he loved others more than he loved himself. The third thing that Jesus shows us by passing this test is he confronted evil with good. And in his case, even though it cost him his life. And then fourthly, he says he chose the right friends. And I, I just want to stop here and for a moment just kind of Jump back. Two weeks ago, Piet preached that we should choose the right friends. In this moment, Jesus says, stay awake with me. We should choose the right friends to pray with us. We should choose the right friends who would encourage us. We should choose the right friends that know what it takes to sacrifice. We should choose the right friends that have enough courage to ask us, how are you doing with those habitual sins, Ken? Those are the friends that God says we need when we face the next test. Choose God's wisdom and not our wisdom. Friends, God has made this incredible way. He offered us his own life to cover all the failed tests of all humanity. And... He has made this way for have us to have that personal, precious, covenant relationship with him. He's made the way. We need to remember, friends, that Jesus shows us how it takes to pass the test. Everything we've shared in the last few weeks, as we wanted to gear ourselves as a church, as we look at whatever we're going to face in 2024, when Christo preached, when Piet preached, was us trying to urge each one of us, Friends, trust in God when you have to make these decisions. Trust in his wisdom. I know we journey with many of us, and you see, and it hurts us sometimes when you see, when we're faced with certain things, and we kind of fall for that easy out. 
God picks us up. God's love is there. We walk alongside one another. But we have this opportunity because he loves us and he's given us this word. But the thing is, and I'll be very honest, when I started preparing the message, I went back to the two messages because I wanted to just remember exactly what was said because it spoke to me when I was sitting here. But if it's for me the case, I, don't even, I imagine it must be the same for you, that as I started hearing the messages again of the last two weeks, I realized as much as I loved it and I thought it was amazing, a lot of that incredible truth it was just eaten up by the weeds and the, the, weeds and the thorns. It just is no longer there. So what I'm trying to say, friends, is I urge you to take time with the Lord. I urge you when you hear something that speaks to you in your heart, take some time in the week instead of doing something else and just, just listen to some of those parts again. Because that word is what's going to help us through when we're faced with the tests that we're going to be facing. And we are going to face them. They may be big or they may be small. And they're going to take courage. And it's going to take us to do something radically different. And that's my message this morning. God's given us a way to have this wonderful personal relationship with him. He's made it possible. As Paul says, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. This is the gospel. And it is what we can use as we face these things in every day of our lives. And we can have such a blessed time of, of having this partnership with God and with one another.